0: a diagnosis something that we spend years and years searching for and then when we get it we feel like we got an answer but did we really did your diagnosis answer the question why if it didn't you're in the right place i'm going to teach you the why behind your health struggles right here on the beyond the diagnosis podcast with me dr kylie Welcome ladies and gentlemen, we have a remarkable individual with us today, a remarkable bomb like badass woman who is taking care of crazy stuff in her life and now she's rocking every day from going from trauma abuse to now, um,
1: are you a mom Tiffany? Uh, I raised my siblings so I didn't bear children but I've raised children so. Okay, that counts, I mean uh, every woman is a mom
0: in some way shape or form. Um, Tiffany Barnes is here with us today. If you didn't know, by that little short conversation, she is a realtor and she helps people with her Airbnb. So I know I'm going to be getting in touch with her in the next few years for that. But more importantly, she is the founder of a nonprofit organization called Share, S H A R E, Sharing Hope for the Abused through Resilience and Empowerment. It is a anti abuse. Foundation. You can learn more at sharethemovement.org. If you have been through trauma, if you've been through abuse, for sure, check it out. If you are somebody who wants to help those individuals, whether you've been through it yourself or you just want to help financially or with your time, they're always looking for volunteers and people who want some write-offs. So, yes. Tiffany, please uh, introduce yourself Let's share us your story. And let's just get started because... Before we get started, I guess, into your story, I just want to say that people who have health conditions and and symptoms that don't go underneath an umbrella, or they have this entire long list of diagnoses and all the physical treatments in the world aren't helping. When I what I've seen from my experience is that they all have trauma in their past, some type of trauma, some type of abuse, and that literally has affected their physical health from today. So as we go through your story and what you've been through in your lifetime, let's, let's tie that in back to not only how people can overcome the trauma and abuse, but how that, when you overcome it, how it can affect your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health, and just your overall well-being and your flat-out enjoyment for life. Right. So
1: take it over. Let us know who you are, how you got where you are today. Well, thank you for having me on and for that introduction. I really appreciate it. Uh, I would say I definitely know something about trauma. I know something about trauma in the sense of abuse. By the time I was 13 years old, I had suffered all forms of it. So physical, sexual, emotional, you name it. And uh, my stepfather at the time when I was 13 years old was physically abusing me or sexually and physically abusing me. Uh, Prior to that, my biological parents had you know, physically, emotionally, mentally abused me quite often. They were really young when they had me. So 16 and 17, they were kids themselves raising a child, uh, not to excuse, you know, the behavior that took place, but, you know, just a lot of, we wish we didn't have you. We wish we would have had an abortion. You know, I, they called me garbage all the time. So Ugh. the book that's coming out is called The Throwaway Girl. Is because I felt so disposable to them, and I was told constantly how disposable I was, and um, just that I was a burden to them, and things like that. So I grew up from a very young age. You know, my earliest memory, till my parents divorced at seven years old, of hearing my dad, you know, say these things and my mom say these things. My my mom was more of the mental side of the abuse, where my father was more the physical side of the abuse, and it was. Kind of how it went down was my mom was put on a pedestal by my dad. You know, he never wanted to upset her. He was always afraid of losing her. I would say looking back, he pretty much viewed her as out of his league. So he would do anything to like keep her around. Uh, She never worked when they were together and things like that. So um, he just would give her money to buy clothes and do her hair. And, you know, she really was, like I say, his princess. And so when she would do something to upset him, Again, he didn't want to anger her or, you know, have her threatened to leave. For an example, I remember one day I was coloring in some coloring books in the living room and my dad came out of the bedroom in a fit of rage, you know, mad at my mom and picked me up and threw me across the room and broke my collarbone in my arm. And he was in denial. He wouldn't take me to the doctor to get my arm fixed. Like I literally broke it in several places because I hit this really hard wooden door when he threw me across the room. So I was about six years old at that time. And so, you know, I paint that picture because I went from the physical abuse, then my parents divorced at seven and my mom then got with my stepfather. That's when sexual abuse had started taking place. And my stepfather was a very intimidating man, military police officer at one time. He was six foot two, you know, just a very scary demeanor, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, when my mom and him would fight, oftentimes my mom would get hauled away in an ambulance. And when he started to sexually abuse me, he said, if you say anything to anybody, I'll kill you. Well, you know, at this point in time, I was 13 years old and he's threatening my life. And again, he's very intimidating and had this temper. So you know, as a young woman, I thought he was legitimately going to kill me. And so I didn't say anything to anybody. And my mom, unfortunately, never really took a whole lot of stock in my life. And what I mean by that is, once my parents divorced at seven, which by the way, she had cheated on my, my dad with the then stepfather, she started to abuse drugs and became a drug addict. And so the way I felt from my perspective growing up was I was a child support payment to her. You know, she'd get that child support payment and she'd use it to fuel her, her drug addiction. And so I got that in
0: my own family going down right now with a divorce and the kids are being used as a child support payment.
1: Exactly. And that's not a good feeling. You know, I'm like, there was no love. There was no nurturing. There was no, Hey, how's school going? Like she really, I felt could care less. And so the reason I, again, paint this picture is there was one morning, again, I was 13 years old, so in the eighth grade, and I was getting ready for school and she had come downstairs, which is where my room was. And she was standing in the doorway and had said, you know, what's going on between you and Robert? That's my stepfather's name. And I'm like, what do you mean what's going on? She had noticed how long it had taken him to quote unquote, wake me up. This was a routine of his that he would come downstairs in the morning claiming he was going to wake me up for school and then other things would ensue sexually. So for mom to ask me this was just kind of like, whoa, she's never really cared what's going on. Why is she asking me what's going on between Robert and I? Well, as she's asking me this in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, His Him, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Don't say anything. So I made up excuses. I don't know. Maybe he was changing a furnace filter. Maybe he was doing the laundry, you know, whatever I said at the time. And she, again, insisted to know what was going on. And so I thought, well, again, mom's never cared much about me. So she's being so persistent in asking what's going on. Maybe this one time she'll protect me. And so I let her know all the details. Like, yes, I'm being molested. This is what's going on, blah, blah, blah. She calls him home from work. And says, Tiffany claims you've been touching her and all these things. And we have this, you know, family meeting in the kitchen. And he denies everything. He says, you know, your daughter's a liar. I did none of these things. And basically gave her an ultimatum. He says, Karen, you've got to choose. It's going to be your daughter or me. She did not even hesitate two seconds. She turns to me and says, you have until tomorrow to get the bleep out of my house.
0: Oh, my gosh. So here I am,
1: 13 years old, again, in the eighth grade, I now have told a trusted adult, my mother, about sexual abuse that's going on in my home. She chooses him over me. So I go downstairs to my room and I'm just like, what am I going to do? I'm going to be 13 and homeless. I don't want to go live with dad because we know about the abusive situation that was going on there. So I didn't have a ton of family members I could go call or things like that because a lot of my family members are abusers themselves, whether it's drugs or physical abuse with their kids. You know, I've had family members go to jail for those types of things. And so I literally thought I was going to be homeless.
0: This is why I have such a hard time with this right now, with what we're going through right now with 2020. People are like, you need to go home. Kids can't go to school. I'm like, I love that your kids are in a safe environment, but not everybody is. And they are much safer at school than they are COVID, vaccine, whatever the heck's going on, they would rather get sick than go home.
1: Yeah, certainly. School was a solace for me, I will say that, and I can get into that a little bit later, but I really excelled in school because I knew it was something my parents couldn't take away from me, right? I had to be able to go to school. And again, it was my time to be away. The domestic violence numbers have gone so crazy during 2020, as you brought up. So kind of a long story short, I was walking home from school the next day didn't say goodbye to friends. I'm literally like a zombie walking around like in this trance, like what just happened? Where am I going to go? Mom says I have until today, you know, because it was the next day to get out of her house. And as I'm walking home, uh, we lived on a hill and I'm walking towards my house Seeing there's a lot of people coming and going from the house. And so I thought, oh my gosh, maybe we are moving. Maybe mom had this change of heart And we're going to go move together. And she's realized I'm more important than this man. And I'm getting closer. And we had one of those sliding gates, you know, to go over the driveway. And I'm like, yeah, people are carrying things. We're moving. You know, I had this little pep in my step thinking mom finally chose me. And then as I get there, (laughs) what was taking place was my mom was having a yard sale, selling all of my stuff. So you can imagine I'm 13 years old you know, kicked out of the house, and my mom is selling all of my material objects. I was worth more to her as a dime, a quarter, or a penny for, you know, something at a yard sale than I was as her own flesh and blood daughter. And that was really hard to see. It's something that's still with me today. Like, I just can't imagine a mother doing that, you know, but... Yeah, I've got a
0: six-month-old girl and a three-month- three-year-old. month 3 as a, You drop everything for... Than if your health is in your mental health is in the right
1: place as a mom. right. Well, unfortunately, hers was not, and I ended up you know getting one of those garbage bags that you put leaves in and uh, threw some clothes in there, and I had a little Tootsie Roll bank. I don't know if you remember those little Tootsie Roll banks, and I had I don't know two or three bucks in there saved up. And I took that money and I went to the local bus stop here in Salt Lake City, got on the UTA bus. and At 13 years old. 13 years old. I'm sitting in the bus with literally everything that I own in a garbage bag. And it kind of comes full circle because, again, going back to why I felt like the throwaway girl, you know, I'm still sitting here with my stuff in a garbage bag. It's what I was worth, you know, was just that in that small little garbage bag, but ended up, going up to Layton, Utah, where my dad lived, because I didn't know where else to go, didn't know who to call, didn't know what to do. And it's quite a long bus ride with all the stops from Salt Lake City. Ends up being about an hour and a half or so. If you were to drive it, it's, you know, 20, 30 minutes, depending on traffic. But, and so I'm sitting in the back of this bus with my garbage bag, and I'm looking out the window. And I'm thinking, am I even doing the right thing right now? And again, the reason for that was because I thought I was trading one evil for another, meaning one form of abuse for another form of abuse. Right. I show up to my dad's house. You know, I didn't, again, have a lot of options, so I took my chances. I show up at his house, and luckily, he was not that same man. He was not physically abusive. You know, again, mom was the one that ensued that rage in him, I guess, is the best way to put it. And he protected her, so he would take it out on you. So she wasn't around anymore. And now that she wasn't around, he didn't do that anymore. And he still never has to this day, but he had to take on a second job, you know, to kind of help support me. And so I became a latchkey kid. And if you don't know what a latchkey kid is, it's where basically you wake up and your parent is gone because they have to work and you come home from school and there's still an empty house because again, maybe they're working two, three jobs. So I spent a lot of time alone which was not the best thing for a 13-year-old that had just had this whole world shook upside down. I'm going through hormones growing into my body and, you know, everything that comes along with being a teenager in that respect. And then thinking about everything that happened with my mom and dad's not really there to talk to And I had no friends. And so I didn't make friends easily either. My mom bounced me around a lot in between that seven years old to 13 years old to the point that I went to 23 different elementary schools. Holy moly. Yeah. Sometimes I'd check into one for like six weeks. Mom would get in a fight with that man and go to a different man. And she, she was very promiscuous, unfortunately. And yeah, there was sometimes I'd be in a school for a month Sometimes I'd be in school for six months, you know, just depended. So I had a really hard time with attachment and abandonment.
0: Well, and trust too. You don't have, you can't trust people.
1: Right. Well, it's not even just the trust. It was just, I didn't want to like get close with somebody and then be ripped out and have to go somewhere else. Like that just is hard, you know? And so I didn't make an attempt to make friends, I guess is my point when I was living with my dad to have somebody to talk to. And it, I, I kind of, you know, going back with this garbage theme is I really became kind of like a a trash compactor so I was just compacting all these emotions down 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 until I finally got to a point where like I couldn't compact anymore and I became suicidal and anorexic you know I was told all the time from my mom how ugly I was or fat and I was like 98 pounds that's not fat you know so again I just stopped eating I didn't want to be here anymore I thought if the woman who gave me life, my own mother, doesn't want me, what's the point of being on the planet? And so I made yeah. several attempts in my life.
0: I'm shocked when I when patients tell me their backstory. More often than not, it's the mother being the abusive one, not the father. Really, and, and I think from my standpoint, like going into what I what I'm, what I do as a functional medicine doctor, you know, you always hear that more often than not, it's the man that's being the abuser. When, right. when I get all these stories of where mom the mom is mad at dad, and so she puts her four kids into a car, go parks the car on a railroad track, and then waits for the train to come hit the car, because dad's conducting the train, and he wants she wants to get back at dad and have him kill his own kids. And for some remarkable r- miracle, the four-year-old walks, they all walk away from the car after it gets hit, and the mom I'm talking to without her, her healthcare is the four years, four years old. And she has a piece of glass in her finger.
1: So, yeah, I, I just don't, I don't understand that. Again, I don't have kids of my own, but I have taken my, kind of a long story short, my mom lost custody of all of the kids. Eventually I'm much older than my very youngest sibling and they were awarded to the state and put into foster care. And I was able to take them out and raise them as my own, you know, that's, that's a so very cool. forward, but cool that you could do that. So, and that you did do that, yeah. I just didn't want him to be in the situation I was in you know, the suicide and feeling alone. And but uh, going back to 13, wanting to take my life, there was this morning I woke up and I said to myself, Today's going to be the day, today's going to be the day I end my life, no point in this. And then I had almost like this angel and devil type thing going on. And on the other shoulder was the angel that says, but if you kill yourself and you end your life, you're letting this all defeat you and you're stronger than that. And it was such a, I call it, it was like a download I got, a divine download. I don't know how to explain it, but it was like that little spark inside that said, no, you're not going to end your life. You can't give up. And so I picked up the phone and I asked for help. I called somebody and asked for help. It was a friend of mine from one of my best friends from where I was living with my mom and said, her name was Amy. And I was like, Amy, this is what I'm about to do. This is where my head's at. She was like, listen, I got to talk to my parents, but please, please promise me you'll be there when I call you back. And so I promised her I would. And she talked with her parents and they let me stay with her for a little while while I got help professionally, Um, started working with this. You're going to make me cry. (laughs) My my husband,
0: I didn't know him while he was going through these struggles, but, he would say a million times how he would put the gun next to his head and some angel would be there to tell him, no, you're worth this. You're worth more than this. You can do it. And pulls himself through completely transforms his life. And now here we are 10, 10 years later, he's married to me. We have two kids. Like his life is completely different, but yeah, he was in that same, same scenario, drug act, drug addict. I mean, everything under the sun.
1: So, people who say angels don't exist, I say bullshit. I hope I <laughs> Agreed. We got angels around us. We're yeah. helping, They're helping us get through this hellacious 2020. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It took me about two years of a lot of counseling to get, like, a lot of counseling to get myself right in my head and in my heart you know, to actually not be disgusted every time I looked in the mirror, you know, I thought I was so disgusting and ugly and fat and all these terrible, you've been
0: told for so long.
1: Yes. And so I had to retrain and rewire my brain. And I sat with that social worker at 15 years old. And I said, what's next? And he says, well, we can put you in with a foster family. Obviously your dad's doing what he can, but it's not the best environment. And, um, I didn't have a lot of options, and I didn't want to do foster care because it took me back to that time of when mom bounced me around from place to place a lot, and I didn't want that anymore. And so he said, well, there is one other option. And I said, what is it? I'm all ears. (laughs) And he said, you can do what's called an emancipation. I didn't know what the word was, let alone what it meant. And uh, he told me, I just got to be fair with you. There's only one other case in the state of Utah at that time that had ever won an emancipation at 15 years old. And I thought, what's the worst that can happen? They're going to say no. That's the worst. And then I'm back to square one. So essentially, I sat before a judge and stated my, my claim and said, hey, here's why I want to be emancipated. Here's my story. Here's what I'm going to do once I'm emancipated. Here's how I'm going to support myself. So what does that mean? Because I don't even know what that means. So an emancipation basically means you divorce your family. So you no longer have a parent or guardian over you. Okay. So it's like divorcing my parents, separating myself, where I am my own legal guardian. And I did. Because technically it's 18 when you get that. And you're asking for it to be
0: basically at 15 years old.
1: Right. Okay. Makes sense. I got this emancipation and I went and lived on my own all through high school. I rented a basement apartment for $500 a month near the University of Utah. But I was going to Kearns High School. So those of you who aren't in Utah... That's quite a commute to go from the University of Utah to Kearns. I'd say, I don't know. I rode the bus, so it took me a long time to get to and from. I'd get up at like 5 a.m., catch the bus to get to school on time. But I knew I eventually wanted to end up by the University of Utah because that's where I wanted to go to school and ended up getting a scholarship to the University of Utah. But So 15, you can imagine I had these emancipation papers, and I show up at this couple's house. I'm like, hi, I'm here to rent your basement apartment. They're like, where are the cameras? Are we being punked? You know, like you're too young to be renting a basement apartment. So I always had to carry these papers with me to prove that I wasn't a guardian. So again, I paid this $500 a month and, you know, all while carrying straight A's, college prep classes. Um, I was on a work release program where I got to leave school at noon and I went and worked my first job, which was called Shopco. It was a department store. And I'd worked there. I know Shop Coast, yeah. Or, yeah, I worked there. And then I had like an hour break. So then like five to 10, I went and waitressed. There was a, a restaurant in the parking lot called Frontier Pies. They're no longer around. So I worked two jobs every single day, Monday through um, Friday. And then on Saturday and Sunday, I added a third job where I would work at Bed Bath & Beyond, which was also right in the same parking lot. So yeah, my senior year, I carried three jobs. I finally got a, an old beat-up car that was as old as I am uh, for 500 bucks and was just being an adult, you know? And a lot of kids would come up to me because I could, you know, sign notes for myself. Please excuse Tiffany Barnes for being late. Thank you, Tiffany Barnes. And my teachers would have to accept it and give me an excuse. And so um, I went and sat at my own parent-teacher conference comp- conferences. There was an article in the Salt Lake Tribune about me where I literally went and sat in front of my teachers and said, so how am I doing? You know, most most kids are trying to get their parents not to know when parent-teacher conferences are. (laughs) And here I am like, I want to go. I want to hear how I'm doing and what I can do better. And they interviewed one of my teachers and she was just kind of shocked that I had sat down in front of her for that and was like, tell me how I'm doing. But I knew that if I was going to make it in life, I needed to go to college or that's the idea I had at the time. And so I did everything I could to keep my grades up. Um, You know, I was in the symphony. I ended up going to the Granite Youth Symphony and had some other things that I had that really helped me look really good um, on my, you know, application. And so I just was putting in every application for scholarships I could. You know, I ended up getting like a Papa John scholarship for 500 bucks Um, I ended up getting like a bowling scholarship where I won a bowling tournament for another 500 bucks and that all added up to help for books. But I needed to cover like the big nut, which was, you know, tuition and, uh, the big school too. Yes. Ended up getting an award in my high school, my senior year for the most scholarship offers. I can't remember exactly. It was like in the high twenties. So like, let's say 28 different scholarship offers, not all of them full ride, But the one I did take was a full-ride scholarship in leadership and academics um, to the University of Utah. Well, going back to, like, writing my own notes in school, I had kids who would come up to me and say, well, I don't get to write my own notes. That's not fair. You know, I got to have my parents sign my notes. Where are your parents? Did they die? You know, what's your situation? And it was kind of this, I call it a Tiffany epiphany where that light bulb goes off. And, you know, I would tell people, no, I was abused and emancipated and people would say, what's that mean? And blah, blah, blah. And kids started coming out of the woodwork telling me I'm what was being."
0: happening at home.
1: Yes. They were saying, well, I'm being abused or I know someone who's being abused. And that was that light bulb moment of this is why you didn't take your life. This is why that angel said, you can't give up. You are meant, excuse me, to be a catalyst for others to realize they too can overcome abuse. And so I started a support group in my high school called SHARE. Well, SHARE at the time stood for students helping the abused react and empower so all we were doing is, as students as we were teaching each other how to find that resilience and not fall to like the drugs and the teenage pregnancy, which was very mm-hmm. prevalent in the high school I was going to out in Kearns, and instead learn to be resilient and stay on the straight and narrow path and empower each other so we weren't becoming a statistic of, you know, that cycle. And somebody in that group told another person at another high school what we were doing, Granger High School, and then they wanted to do it at their school and then another school. And then this thing just like snowballed into this big, you know, it's just meant to be a support group where we got together and, you know, we were going through abuse at home or we had gone through abuse and we were just a shoulder to cry on. Or if we had similar classes or the same classes, we did homework together, you know, just as it says, a support group. And Somewhere it now, that you could you could trust and, yeah. and communicate with who understood. Right. Because we understand each other, what we're going through.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it turned into a national 501c3 nonprofit, which it stands today. It became a 501c3 10 years ago. Um and because of that and starting that support group, I actually had the privilege of running the torch in the 2002 Winter Olympics. I had been invited to really do that took the flame from Steve Young, who's a Hall of Fame football player. You
0: took the flame from Steve Young.
1: Yes. Whoa, that's so cool. So I still have the torch to this day. And I do a lot of motivational talks for like kids or church groups and things like that. And I'll take that torch with me. And I use a lot of analogies of having a flame inside. You know, when I wanted to give up on my life, when I was, you know, 13 years old, It was a point where I had just a teeny, tiny little spark inside. You know, I wanted to give up. And sometimes we have this roaring, raging fire, like when we get excited about something. But I really believe my mission here on Earth is to help feed each other's flame, you know, to help feed your flame, to help feed the flame of the people listening to this right now, that no matter what their circumstances are, You know, life isn't about what money you have in the bank. Life is not about the clothes you wear or the car you drive. Success to me is what I can inspire another person to do in feeding their flame. I've been persistent. You know, I I now am in real estate. I ended up kind of a long story short, because I'm sure you don't want to go three hours on the show, but (laughs) I ended up going to college, met somebody who started mentoring me in real estate started making money with real estate, which meant I wasn't focusing as much on school, got into some jeopardy of possibly losing my scholarship and had a come to Jesus meeting with myself, if you will, of do I stay in school and get that degree, which I was going to get it for communications, or do I leave a $40,000 full ride education behind that I fought so hard for, drop out and pursue real estate as an investor? I dropped out and pursued real estate as an investor and I've never looked back. I was going to say, do you regret it? I don't. I became a millionaire in my twenties and, uh, that uh, enabled me to be able to take custody, you know, of my siblings and to do the things that, um, I've been able to do for them and, uh, really grow my business as a professional. So I never looked back. There was no like, Hey, just kidding. I want that scholarship back. That wasn't, yeah, they don't,
0: they don't do that.
1: So, um, and here we are today, I'm 38 years old now. So 28 or 20 years later, and I'm still pursuing real estate. I'm still an investor, but I also am in a, a realtor as well. And my passion is helping people level up their wealth. Say that again. My passion is helping people level up their wealth,
0: level up their wealth.
1: Yeah. And
0: yeah, you and I are going to be in contact as soon as I get these student loans paid for. <laughs>
1: That's actually the name of my company is Level Up Wealth Academy. So I love it. It's all about leveling up, you know. Level Up what academy? Level Up Wealth Academy. Wealth. Do you know Nate Crowther?
0: I do not. You and him would probably be good friends. Cool. He's our financial advisor and he does the investing in the real estate and the Airbnbs and all that fun stuff too. Awesome. Very wealthy man.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of money to be made in short-term vacation rentals. Except for in the year 2020, but it will all change. I don't know. I've done pretty good. I've pivoted. I lost 50% of my bookings. I'm still booked into November of next year, by the way. It's just I've had to pivot and learn how to market to some different people.
0: Yeah. I know all of us have had a change of pivot in some way, shape, or form. And I know with my practice, I was very grateful. I was actually completely virtual before this whole thing went down. Oh, so nice. for me, I haven't skipped a beat. Um, but, you know, those angels in your life that come in and tell you what to do, you you do it. Yeah. And then you see your benefit. Yours on the, on the road. So, Tiffany, thank you so much for being brave and sharing your story. I know so many people, I know I can relate that to that. I know my husband can relate to it on a personal level. I know every single one of us listening knows somebody who's been through some type of trauma or abuse. And when it comes to taking that first step, what would you recommend?
1: So I want to leave your listeners with a saying, which I need to patent or trademark or something, which is going to really help answer your question is, it's the start that stops you. Yep. So it's that first step in anything of the unknown, whether it's coming out and saying, I'm being abused, that's your first step. Whether it's, um, you know, seeking help of a professional, maybe that's your first step. Um, maybe it's actually finally telling a close friend that you're being, whatever it is, I'm just referring to abuse only, but it can, it can refer to anything in life mm-hmm. or pertain to anything in life. But um, once you take that first step and then you just take the next, and the next obviously you've got a momentum going but the hardest part in anything whether it's leaving the husband or wife that's beating you whether it's leaving that job that's doing you a great injustice whatever it is is you just have to have that gumption to take that first step yeah once when you're like oh i'm not gonna eat out of garbage cans i didn't die i'm still here you know okay that wasn't as bad as i thought and then you take the next and then you just keep that momentum going. And and that literally that
0: one first step for you, you went from going from a, everything you had to, in it was in a garbage bag to yeah. now multimillionaire, I'm sure um, because of the first step. And then just continuing with one step at a time. I know when, when my husband and I are, are working on like, we're building businesses, we've got three businesses right now and people will call us crazy because we started two of them in 2020 and they're rocking and rolling. But taking that first step towards your dream is just that. Yes. And when it comes to managing stress and just looking at the big picture, I know for me, the first year of getting my doctorate, first year of medical school, it was like, I'm so overwhelmed. Like, I can't even breathe because I have to do this and this and this and this. And I have four years of this. And then it's like, if you look at the big picture, you will freeze and you won't yeah. take that first step. But then when I scale back and I say, okay, what do I need to do? Like I'm heading into bed. What is the first thing I need to do in the morning? That's it. That's all I worry about. And reshaping your mindset to going from, I have, you know, I'm here in this in my life. I am like for my husband, it was a drug addict. It was sexual, a sex addict. It was um, alcoholic. It was, I mean, you name it. (laughs) That was what his addictions were. Where do I take that first step? And having the courage to take that first step. And for him, the courage was, I want to buy myself some church clothes. That was his first step. Just saying, I can get a white shirt and black pants. And then, you know, because that first step happened, the crazy girlfriend left the house. And so that was the next step, like clearing the abusive scenario. And from there, it just cascades and transforms. But taking the first step, and if you don't take it, I love that. It's the start that stops you because literally you're so terrified about what truly can happen when you do have the courage to take that step. I know in my family recently, my brother finally took that courage. Like we've been dying for years now for him to take that courage and get out of a very unhealthy relationship. And he called us all up one day and said, I need you to come help me move my stuff out of my house. And that, and it was like, finally prayers were answered. And, and now it's like. We, I know my brother again, like he's back to who he was. Now he has a road ahead of him because of the ugliness and the relationship. But it was just that one step, that phone call saying, Kylie, can you come help me move my boxes out of my house? And it wasn't about moving and nothing for nothing. I didn't pick up anything. I didn't pick up a single box. It was me being there to support him in that decision as he was making a safety move for both him and his kids.
1: Right. I'd say that's another big part of, you know, who I am today. It's not a solo project. You know, it was that friend I reached out to that said, please be there and answer the phone when I call back or that social worker that said, hey, let's try an emancipation or that mentor that showed me how to get into real estate I would never be where I am today just on my own, and so it's really important to whether it's in business or healing and trauma or anything, just to reach out and have a support system or someone to go to because it's not yeah. going to be a solo project. Yeah,
0: yeah. My husband tells me he he had to completely change his friends, drop all of his friends. He sold his house, lived with, moved in with strangers, and had a. Had a community, had a group in church that really stuck with him and stuck by him and stuck every well, helped him through it. And then he got involved with somebody at a gym and where he would go work out for three, four, five hours a day to just release everything, all the addictions, because you have to change it. You have to, I mean, you can't just drop something, you have to convert it into something else. Right. And so for him, it became the, the way the weightlifting. And then eventually the weightlifting turned into to now I'm competing and now I'm experiencing competition and the highs and, and that. And it was just like that, his weightlifting group, his group at the gym became his family, became his support system, became those who he looked forward to talking to. And like to this day, he calls two of them I mean, they call each other back and forth. They probably know more about each other's lives than I, us wives do, to be honest. But because that's how much they communicate. But they truly were his saving grace, those angels. Like, we can be people's angels. And and like you said, as soon as you started sharing your story to friends and, and colleagues and classmates at school, people started coming out of the woodworks and started telling you, hey, this is what I'm going through. And, and then share was created. We <laughs> never know what people are going through. And just help. Just in any way, shape, or form possible. Just help them out.
1: Well it's interesting on I have my own podcast as we talked about online. And one common thread I'm seeing, you know, think about the Me Too movement. Somebody came out and said something and so then other women or men felt they could come out too. Mm -hmm. And it strengthened numbers. I think a lot of times people don't say something, especially when it comes to abuse is they feel they're alone. Nobody else is gonna understand it or nobody else has been through it. And so, you know, I've just had a couple of guests on in the last week where they've they've mimicked those words. You know, I knew what was going on might not be right, but I didn't say anything to anybody because I didn't think anybody was going to understand me or believe me or that this was happening to anybody else. And so once somebody says something, you know, I said I was abused. So people are like, oh, she's, she gets me. She understands. And so then that's when they would share their story. So,
0: um,
1: you know, it's just kind of interesting how the brain works that way when it comes yeah. to
0: Yeah, I think from, from my and my personal experiences, I experienced a miscarriage at 20 weeks along. And I've been really vocal about it the last couple of weeks on other people's podcasts. Um, but just because I, I don't want women... To hush that. and so many people, I mean, statistic wise, one in four pregnancies end early. Mm. And, and we just don't talk about it. I mean, I, fi- I find out 20 years after the incident happened, the, the neighbor down the street who came to my rescue had six miscarriages. I had no idea, and I knew her at the time. Yeah. um So just talking about these things and getting these things out in the open between, you know, um, John Legend's wife on New York times announced that she lost one. And then uh, Megan Markle turns around and announces that she lost one. So it's just speaking up, speaking out, speak loud is your podcast. Yes. Um, so if you are one of these people who want this safe community, or even if you want to just learn more about like, maybe I should go listen just so I can understand my husband's scenario, but a little bit better so we can communicate better, you know, go check out, speak loud. It's a Tiffany's podcast at speakloudpodcast.com and it's all on all major platforms. So there's two places you really need to go. Share the movement.org to join in and help those who have been through trauma and abuse, whether it be with your time or whether it be with financial resources, or if you are somebody, you need you need a safe place to go, go there. The other spot is speakloudpodcast.com. And whether you want to tell your story or listen to other people's stories and just feel that hope, that one spark, that one flame, and start to build that flame. Love that. Thank you, Tiffany. Any any closing tips or remarks?
1: Just again, um, as I've said, it says, oh, be the change you wish to see in this world by Gandhi. And the reason I, I want to leave everybody with that is because, You know, you may say, Well, I'm just one person. Whether that changes, you're passionate about clean air. Maybe you're passionate about abuse, like I am. Like I wake up every single day to affect one life in a positive way in overcoming abuse. Maybe you're passionate about animals. You know, there's so many things you can be passionate about, but you can't say, Oh, I'm just one person. Because as we know, you know, as the analogy goes, you throw a rock into the water, it creates ripples. You know, when I die, abuse won't be over, unfortunately, just based on statistics. You know, you mentioned one in four women for um, losing a child. It's one in four women have suffered some form of abuse before the age of 18 and one in six men. So if you walk in in a room full of 20 people, you can deduct by odds there's going to be people in there that have been through abuse, you know. and And so even though I can't end it in my lifetime, I have already... Created a lasting impact and change. So, I guess the point I'm saying is you can be the change for anything, you know, whether it's, again, abuse or trauma or whatever it is you're passionate about, go out there and be that change with your voice and speak loud about it.
0: Don't let the start stop you.
1: Yes. See, I got to trademark that. Yes, you do. You got to trademark that one.
0: (laughs) Yesterday. Yeah. I don't even know the process of it. You probably know more about that than me, but it's the start that stops you. Don't let it. That's right. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I hope you learned as much as I learned that no matter what your history is, you can overcome it. You just need to change by choice, And don't let the start stop you. I want you to also know that we have extended the pre-sale launch of the HBD membership tribe. 99 bucks a month this month ends at the end of February. So if you want to get in at that early price, come join us. DrKylieBurton.com backslash Healing Beyond the Diagnosis. Can't wait to see you guys inside.